0: welcome to our podcast here at hope united church to access the live stream of our services along with other resources and information please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk we're on to tonight we're going to obviously be continuing with faithful men. And I think Fraser done an exceptional job last week about sharing about William Cooper and his and his life. Um, and it was when we were talking about this, coming and speaking about faithful men, automatically my instant thing was, right, I, w- I, want, to sp- I want to share about somebody who was around during, during different wars and stuff like that. And as most of you all know, it kind of, cries out at me most of the time, um, my deep love, my deep affection for war history, history and especially men who went above and beyond um, their call of their duty. So tonight I'm going to share with you someone I never even had heard before um, up until a couple of weeks ago and his name's Pastor Paul Schneider and his picture will be up on the screens. Um, and really the reason why I wanted to share this man's life is he is known as the first Protestant martyr of the Second World War. I think instantly the, the thing that took my notice um, as, I, as I studied him um, was that, that he was the first martyr. It just stood out to me that um, that, that alone itself was so, so important. But really I believe that this man's life um, should serve as an inspiration to us all and how he stood strong and firm in his faith and even through such perilous times and horrific trials he continued to proclaim the gospel. I also want to share his story and it to be used to to bolden and strengthen our own faith. So as we know, no matter what happens to us, we who have placed their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have their eternity secured. So I'm going to share with you tonight this man's journey from when he became a minister um, to then standing up and speaking out against the rise of Nazism and fascism. To then some of the letters home to his wife and kids when he was in jail, and then to his last days in a concentration camp, where he would eventually lose his life. At Christmas, I was given this beautiful book um, by two members, two members of our church, Rachel and Stacey, and really this is where I kind of got my inspiration from when I when I read this. And this book is entitled "Dying We Live," um, and inside it. Um, it's full of the final messages and records of some Germans who defied Hitler um, and it's, it's just a great little book and some of the stories are longer than others, some of them are just, just maybe five or six sentences um, of letters that they sent back to their loved ones um, before either they were killed or um, they were just lost. Um, Just an amazing thing. So, what's what's great about this book is it's all different people in it. It's all different people from all different types um, of life, all different walks of life. There's politicians in here. There's then soldiers to then even just the common people, like people who worked as teachers. And even there's a story of a a minor, a German minor, and you think wow, incredible. So, uh, all this stuff is in here. And everything, all of them used their voice to try and call out, to try and stem the flow and stop the rise of Hitler and the Nazis. So, before I go into it, I just want to give you just a wee bit of background um, to Paul's life. So, he was born 29th of August. 1897 in Sobernheim in Germany, please bear with me because I will mention some German places and German names and things like that, so if I don't get them right and I don't get these places right then I'm not German so I'll just try my best (laughs) to share that, even though I have a little German boy next door, (laughs) that he looks like one so yeah, um, so he he was the second of three sons to his father Gustav Schneider and his mother Elizabeth. It was said he had a strong love for his mother and a great respect for his father who was himself a pastor and an ardent patriot. From from a young age, Paul always wanted to be a doctor where he could help and tend people. But when 1914 came and the outbreak of the First World War, things changed. Like many, Paul answered the call to serve his country, to serve his nation. So he joined the German army. Now, at this time. Like many young men at this this point, they thought going to war was an adventure. They thought it was going to be something exciting. They didn't realise the dangers, the trauma that was awaiting them. If you've ever seen um, the film All Quiet on the Western Front, I would say go away and watch it. Because it is a, a great film, but a brutal film showing the First World War and it shows you the story from a German perspective and I believe it's, it's actually up for like X amount of awards um, for, for how they've showcased this. So I would say Go Away is it's uh, a great film to watch. Um, at the age of 18, however, he was seriously injured on the Russian front. Now this would have been the Eastern Front. Um, and for his bravery, he was awarded the Iron Cross. Now, to be honest, they say it was a bit of a miracle that he actually survived. He he actually should have been dead from the, the wounds that he'd actually got. So there was some sort of miracle happened right away where he actually survived this. He would later go on and make a full recovery and later he returned to service to fight against the French and British forces till the end of the war in 19. Once the war was over, it came at a massive cost. Nearly 20 million people were dead. Germany itself lost nearly two million men. Nearly three times this number was either injured or missing. So nearly 60 million people by the end of the First World War were gone. Like so many others, Paul abandoned his plan for the future after the horrors he'd endured in the army. But instead he felt a desire to go and study theology and hopefully follow in the footsteps of his father and one day become a pastor. Already you can see this man, he could see the trouble that lied ahead for his fellow countrymen. The country was in deep poverty, deep depression. Um, He was also deeply worried about the rise in communism and fascism and socialism. He could see already that his country was struggling. He seen it struggling spiritually. He knew unless the people's hearts were changed through the word of God people would replace former tyranny of the Kaiser with something new. Paul wrote in his diaries that it was during his studies in 1921 when his true conversion happened. He had rejected what had become a more liberal modern view of God and had in turn lined himself up to reformers of old like Luther and Calvin. He wrote this in his diary. He, like all men, are sinners and in need of redemption. The Bible was not just religious folklore, it is the Word of God. We now need to preach the gospel that salvation is by repentance and faith in the crucified and risen Christ. I think what, what powerful words that even ring just as true today? Between 1921 and 1925, Paul dedicated his times to study and theological college so as to become a pastor. during his times or during these times, he, he also rejected what he called himself the easier, softer jobs. Now he was offered a job as a, cush, a cushy number, what I believe by his uncle it was, where he could have been paid, he had, could have had a nice, comfy job, getting paid a decent wage. But instead, he took up a, hard, a much harder role. He took on a role of working in a blast furnace, working alongside the common man. He'd done this because he wanted to see what normal men would have to face on a daily, on a daily basis. He then also travelled to Berlin for nine months and worked in the city mission where he would help alcoholics and addicts. Right away, you can just see how this man had a deep love for people. He didn't just want the role of being a pastor and just the position of that, but yet he wanted to be people's, in people's worlds from the bottom from the bottom level. It was in 1926 when he got the sad news that his father had passed away after a a stroke and a brief illness. His father's church in Hockelheim unanimously called Paul to be its new pastor. So you just think of that, it must have been on one side so difficult. His father had just passed away, a man that he, he deeply loved, but also the joy that the the church then had called him to then take over, so he could actually follow in the footsteps of his dad and help lead that church. It was said that his very first sermon he preached from was 2 Timothy 3.14-17, 14 and 14 to 17, the heart of which declares that all scripture is God breathed. It is without error, that is infallible. The choice of this passage indicates his belief in the authority of the Bible alone. For the next five to seven years, Paul Schneider was an example of a minister who really had his time off. His work was his life we've seen him as well during this time, trying to win young people to Christ by playing sports or going on walks and adventures with them. Older folk would find him working in the fields alongside them, harvesting the crops or haymaking. He built up his relationships with the local people, yet within his congregation. He believed in applying biblical church discipline to people who were not following the Lord's commands and who were living sinful lives. There was also a massive importance on correctly stewarding the Lord's table, and that people took it and that, to make sure that people took it in a worthy manner. So again, you see this man, this man's life unfold, and then I look at our own church and I see so many similarities to this, and even that scripture from 2 Timothy about. How that has actually became a rock in this church um, and where we've went and how we are living for God. Back to Pastor Paul and things in his country were about to get a lot worse. On the 30th of January, 1933, Adolf Hitler came to power and life in Germany began to change dramatically. Many in the church supported the Nazis and what they were doing, but from that early age, From that early stage, Paul was vocal and spoke out against the Nazis and their wrong policies. One of the things he refused to do from the very start was to use the greeting, Hail Hitler, as he seen this as a form of idolatry. He could see how Nazism was making its way even into the church, so he decided to act. On his weekly church bulletin, he shared some criticism of the Nazis and their anti-Semitic policies and what they were doing. This did not go down too well. Pastor Paul was then approached by, at the time, what they call a German Christian leader. Now, just to give you a bit of understanding about what a German Christian leader is, this was someone who was a Nazi, who would go around wearing a cross and acting like a Christian, but would be wearing a Nazi uniform He didn't care about the church, all he cared about was the state and the Nazis. He basically told Paul stop preaching against the state or there will be consequences. Pastor Paul refused. In doing this, the so-called German Christian leader put pressure on the church and its elders. Sadly, they refused to back their pastor and he was eventually relieved of his duty as pastor of Hockelheim. (coughs) What a sad state, what a sad state, the very fact the church that he grew up in, his father had pastored and then they wanted him as pastor, wouldn't back him. What a sad, sad thing. You think of where we are today. There'll be some ministers out there, even today, who will refuse to go along with the whole LGBT nonsense or the transgender stuff. And because of that, they won't be able to speak up or they'll be forced out. Think of this week, if you've not seen it. The Church of England. Their bishops reaffirmed their stance on welcoming same-sex couples into the church. And I just want to quote this statement because I think it ties in with what was happening, even in Germany, at this point. The statement said, they will urge all congregations in their care to welcome same-sex couples unreservedly and joyfully as they reaffirm their commitment to a radical new Christian inclusion founded in scripture in reason in tradition in theology and in the Christian faith as the Church of England has received it based on good healthy flourishing relationships and in a proper 21st century understanding of being human and of being sexual and I'm just like what 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 are we talking about here and even if you look back at what was going on in Germany at this point It's almost like history repeating itself as some churches fall further and further away from God's word and are consumed about what the world is doing and behaving like that. It's shocking. You think about what Pastor Mark was saying this morning about sharing um, in Corinthians. And one of the things he says is, we don't have different instructions from then to now. Times have changed, but the word hasn't. And I just want to put a buffer out. I'm not saying that we do not welcome people into the church, but at the end of the day, we are all sinners. That's that's we all we've all got that in common. But God is not going to go against what He has already written. He's wrote that. That's it. He's not going to go back on the things that He says. As the Nazi stranglehold of Germany became even tighter in 1936, a ray of hope was still shining. Faithful faithful Christians had organised themselves into what was known as the Confessing Church. Paul had then become the pastor of Dickenshield and Womrath. This body of believers had issued a statement to be read out in faithful churches denouncing the Nazis and their their evil ways and that socialism had no place in the church. As always, the Gestapo and the secret police got wind of this information and right away put pressure on Paul, threatening him that he would be arrested if he read this openly to his congregation. True to his word, he refused their threats. Paul would find himself arrested and put in jail multiple times that year for refusal to adhere to the Nazi's policies. His stance was simple. And he put it this way. The state should never interfere with the church. By the time 1937 came, Hitler was in supreme power. He was the Führer of that entire nation and in control of all the armed forces. The trade unions had been abolished. The media was ran by the Nazi party, spinning out hundreds of articles promoting the rise and promotion of Nazism and socialism. Textbooks were rewritten. Children were forced into the Hitler youth, being brainwashed by fascist ideologies. The Gestapo were arresting all who refused to give their allegiance to their Führer. This is when they eventually came for Pastor Paul. On the 31st of May, two Gasapo officers burst into his study and arrested him. The charges? None. Was there any questioning? No. Was there a trial? No. He was just locked away in an underground cell for eight weeks. He was released on one condition. He had to accept an order to leave the area and not preach. In those churches. So you think of that, he'd just been locked away from his family, from all the people he loved, the people he cared for, for eight weeks and then he gets gets released in their leg. You're released on one condition, you don't go back to those people, you don't go back to the ones you love, you don't go back to the ones you care, you can't tell the truth, you can't speak the truth, you're not allowed to do that. Leave. Paul, Paul again refused to be bullied and intimidated. To make his point, he put the illegal banishment papers in the bin and caught the first train home to his family. Um, I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. This is a picture of Paul Snyder and his wife Gretel um, and basically like obviously once he got to a jail as I said the first thing he'd done was to jump on a train and go home to his family to the people he loved because he, he didn't care. He didn't care what, what they were trying to do. I mean wasn't he wasn't going to back down to the intimidation that was happening with him. Once home, his wife Gretel wrote in her memoirs about her late husband. What was he going to do? That was the first question she asked when he got home. She knew herself, if her husband preached again, the Gestapo were just going to come after him. Again, the possibility of him being arrested was pretty pretty high if he was there. He could be jailed indefinitely, or even worse, murdered. As he was sitting with his wife, all he kept on doing was reading out scripture after scripture to him, <coughs> scripture to his wife, till so he got to a point when he read out Judges 5:18, and it says this: "Zebulun is a people who jeopardised their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield." Hearing him quote this to her, Gretel knew in her heart, Paul's decision had been made with despair and with her voice quivered as she asked this, Paul, don't you think about me and the children? Paul, don't you love us? Paul's eyes filled with tears, grabbed his wife. My darling, he sobbed, I have never loved you or the children more than on that night of this decision. I wept for you, And with those words spoken with such a deep conviction and emotion, Gretel knew her only decision was to agree with her husband. His heart was set. He must stay true to his word and true to God, no matter the consequences that was going to come to him. That Sunday, Sunday, (coughs) Pastor Paul proudly and bravely went to his church in Dickenshield. His congregation was overjoyed And many wept to see him, knowing very well the consequences for him being there. And again, I just think, if you look at that, what a beautiful picture that must have been. That the people, the people wept for joy to see their pastor, the shepherd of that flock. You could just tell just just how much they deeply loved him. On his drive to Womrath, that evening, the service, to his evening service, his road was blocked by the secret police and the Gestapo. Paul would be arrested and this would be the last time he would see his wife and kids. Just before he was taken away, Gretel was able to put a Bible in his pocket. Now, what I'm going to share with you next, um, it's just a few letters that are taken from this book and these, these letters were wrote um, to his, to his wife whilst he was in jail, to his wife and his kids. And I think when you, when you hear these words, I'm just going to obviously just read them out word for word. When you hear them, you, you can just see him where he's wrestling. You can see how he's wrestling with his thoughts and his actions, his love for his family and his, his church. <coughs> but above all, you hear his love for God. in it. so this first letter is dated on October 17th, 1937. Eh, and it says this, often my dear wife, I feel like a most unnatural father and wonder why precisely I had to bring down all this (laughs) upon your heads and whether I had the right to do so and why it had to be I and our parishes that had to take the brunt of things. Mm. Then in a most penitent frame of mind, I sit in my cell, which is a perfect place for such feelings. Yet after all, we cannot do anything but follow the way along which God leads us. And despite all my reflections. I still have thought of nothing else we could have done, or any other way in which we could have done it. So we must confidently leave our case to God and trust in him to justify us, justify our faith and our souls and our consciences and all our sin, and also to justify us before the world when the time comes. The Lord has promised that he who renounces his kin and all his possessions for Jesus' sake will regain them a hundredfold in this world and will win eternal life in the world to come let us have faith in this promise with that the chestnut tree becomes for me God's wide and beautiful world and the world becomes God's eternity that even more beautiful world I am as having nothing and yet possessing all things Lord Jesus let me let me persevere in this state of mind until I attain thy kingdom what a beautiful, beautiful word and a, a letter that he sent. And I, have, I, think, I think Pastor Mark spoke about this before, about when you read letters that people write and you just see the heart and everything that comes from behind that and you just think, wow, we, we miss out on maybe some of these things nowadays because everything's too easy. Um, this next letter was his final letter that he sent back to his wife on um, November 24th, 1937. This was just before he was transported um, to the concentration concentration camp at Buchenwald. It says this, it was, I'm sorry, it was with thanks to the kindness of the, the jailkeeper that Paul was able to send these few more lines to his wife. So let me read this out. Now so it seems the dice has fallen, whether it is to be in a concentration camp or protective custody, cannot make much difference now. What advice can I give you? It is so cheap and easy to counsel from the outside. Remember that it is better to forsake all creatures than to act in the least against God's will. And at the same time, put trust in this promise. He who fears God has a sure refuge and safety will God keep his children. God will give you strength, you dear ones, to go your own way. Let us continue to put our trust, as we have done until now, in God alone. Let us continue in humility and patience to expect all good to come from him alone and to love, fear, to honour him wholeheartedly. Thus God will be with us and we shall not be disappointed in our hopes. Be comforted and faithful, fear not. I hold you close in my heart. In God we are not separated, once more, my heartfelt thanks to you for all your love you have shown me whilst I have been here. Let us be thankful for this, this beautiful period of preparation for harder trials. New sorrows should bring us new experiences of our God and a new glory. Christ says, I am with you all your days. With love, your Paul the last words or the last letters that he would send to his wife. Paul was then transferred to the Bush and Wall concentration camp, this camp was under the SS control and he, as he passed through the gates they were marked with the words to each what he deserves. This slogan was, uh, was typically used by the uh-huh. SS basically saying everything that happens here is what you deserve. From the beginning of his time there, he had no privileges and he was treated like a common criminal. He was constantly mocked for his faith, spat on and ridiculed by the guards. The first of his many brutal beatings came on Hitler's birthday. The order was given for all prisoners to to greet the swastika flag by taking off their caps in honor of their Führer. The guards noticed the solitary figure who would not bow to the swastika. For this he was viciously struck 25 times with an oxhide whip. His bleeding body was left in solitary confinement where he stayed there for the next 15 weeks. There was no furniture, no lighting, and all he had to eat was bread and water. Before long he became a broken skeleton, his, be- his clothes became like rags, and his body crawled with vermin. He wasn't even allowed his precious Bible. So imagine that. Imagine the pain he must have felt. The hunger he must have felt. But yet, his love, his desire, his commitment to God was totally unwavering. Once freed again, Paul only had one thing on his mind. Preach the gospel. On the morning of Sunday the twenty-eighth of August, (laughs) he preached through the bars of his cell to to the men lined up for the morning call survivors recorded this he shouted out through the through the bars our Lord Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins if we have faith in him we are put right with God we need not fear what man may do to us because we through Christ belong to the kingdom of God our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us has promised that we by faith in him may participate in his resurrection He said i am the resurrection and the life he that believes in me shall never die accept the lord jesus as your savior and the god and god will receive you as his child after about two minutes of him preaching to the men guards rushed his cell pulled him away and beat him again on top of that the guards strung him up as if on a cross leaving for leaving him at days at a time Snyder was asked by one of his friends who was in jail with him, why do you keep on doing this? Why do you keep on preaching? And his simple answer was, somebody has to preach God's word in this hell. (laughs) After all this, he kept on going and continued to proclaim the gospel through his window. One prisoner recalled him preaching preaching the message of new life on Easter. And he later commented, commented, in my estimation, it was he was the only man in Germany who overcoming all human fear, so consciously took on himself the cross of Christ, even to death. Every time he preached from his bunker, his tortures increased, but his faith in the Lord grew stronger and stronger. And I think that should be a challenge for us all. When trials come, what is it we're doing? Is our faith becoming more stronger? Are we trusting in God more? Is our faith making us stronger? Are we bolder with what we are saying and what we are preaching? Finally, on the 18th of July, 1939, the starved and beaten Paul Schneider was murdered when the camp doctor injected him with a massive overdose. Of a heart stimulant. This was said it was the only way to stop him preaching God's word. Paul was only 41 years old, he left behind him his wife and his six children. Only two months later the second world war officially started lasting the next six years leaving many cities, many countries in ruins and killing an estimated 80 million people. Now, just as I look at this man's life, he could have so easily bowed. The temptation for him to just say, I've had enough. He could have done that. He had so many opportunities. He could have lived a long and happy, peaceful life. But he stayed true to what God had called him. And I believe his life truly is a great example to us all of how we should live for Christ. And as I close tonight, on his old jail jail cell in the Bush and Wall concentration camp, a plaque was dedicated to keeping his memory alive. And it says these beautiful words, and it's taken from 2 Corinthians 5.20, and it says this, Now then, we are ambassadors For Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you. On Christ's behalf. Be reconciled. To God. And I think that's just what that man done. He just pleaded with people. Come to Christ. Accept Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And you'll live with him forever. So as I close tonight. I know Fraser's going to play. Abide with me. And. I mean, I don't know if that man knew that song. But God, God was certainly with him through all his trials, through all his pain, through all the punishment he took. And look at his life. Look how he lived as an amazing example for us and which we should imitate. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.